Wheeling Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 297. This is Russ Rosleski, not Carl with a cold. It has been a while since we've recorded, but for good reason. And we're going to find out why today, because in today's episode, we switch seats. Bill English and I are going to interview Carl about his recent upgrade to captain. Hopefully, you'll learn from this experience and how to prepare for your next rating. Let's do the pre-flight. Speaking of helping people reach their goals, a special shout-out to the sponsor of this episode, which is PlainEnglishSim.com. Many of you listen to this podcast to help understand aviation terms and the proper pronunciation in English. Well, there's an app for that. Plain English Sim is the app-based aviation radio simulator and an easy way to gain radio proficiency in both VFR and IFR. Use the coupon code Sim for free one-year access to the Online Aerospace Scholarships Guide. Links to the Aerospace Scholarships Guide and the coupon code are in the show notes. There are a limited number of coupons, so visit aviationcruisepodcast.com and use the code Plain English Sim today. Now entering cruise flight. Well, it's great to be back podcasting again. It has been a while, and uh, we're all excited to be back at it. And But we've been really silent for, for a couple months now, really. And man, all of us have been really busy, but especially one of us. Carl, welcome to the podcast, and tell us... What have you been doing? Well, first of all, uh, that was Russ. That was an incredible intro, and uh, I, I'm happy to be here. I think we have a new host of the podcast here. Uh, it really it's uh, it's good to be back podcasting. I tell you, one of the things that's been a challenge for me is to get around to doing this. And uh, the reason I haven't been is I've been uh, in training. Sometimes things happen in life uh, where you wind up being really busy, and I was in training with the airline to upgrade to captain. And uh, that's upgrading the captain on the Airbus A320, 321. We have uh, two different variants. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, but it was a, a three-week process. It was a short course. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, too. And it was a challenge. It was a lot of fun. And hopefully, maybe what I relate will help some folks uh, when they're getting ready for the next check ride. If you're, no matter what airplane you're in. Well, I definitely look forward to hearing more about that. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? What have you been up to? Oh, a little of this, a little of that. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's a very busy flying season here too. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, you know, been a l- busy uh, making people to fill the right seat that uh, Carl is vacating. <laughs> we appreciate that, Bill. There you go. Well, I guess somebody has to, right? So, 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 Carl, let's, yeah, let's they kind have of to start. come from somewhere. Yeah, that's right. Let's let's go ahead and start at the beginning, Carl. I mean, you know, you, you've you've been an FO and uh, you decided to upgrade the captain uh what what kind of brought about this decision so you know russ i'm i'm glad you s- said something about that because decided to is a, a good thing and uh and one of the reasons is that uh, as bill alluded to there's they're trying to fill these seats is that i really was waiting for a time where i could get a better schedule uh, and everybody realizes or many people realize that in the airline world it's all based on seniority so the fact that i can upgrade has nothing to do with my skills, although that has to do with passing a check ride. But it's more with 
being able to upgrade because of seniority. I put off upgrading to captain for now it's seven years uh, because I wanted my schedule and I really enjoyed it. But the real reason I did it, I'll be honest with you, it has nothing to, and I know people are like, oh, the money's better. No, no, it's not that. It's that it's a challenge. I, I wanted something new. I was getting to that point in life where I, I needed a new challenge, something uh, different to do. Uh, I wanted to be in the left seat, driving the aircraft on the ground, because we get to do that. That's kind of fun. And also setting the tone in the cockpit. And uh, and ba- it's it's kind of neat. Um, and when you do it, you realize how cool it is. It's like being a boat captain. You know, you're the person that's in charge of everything. And it's it's orchestrating all these different people and items to come together at the same time. Uh, and then there's another thing we're talking about at the end uh, that I decided to do also that was another challenge. So it's more so about the challenge. And I thought about the possibility of maybe bringing some more information uh, to the podcast uh, because a lot of it's, you know, about you know, the podcast and helping people with, you know, both their careers and also their flying life. So maybe I'll be able to, to, who knows, maybe I'll be able to relate something different uh, from the left seat as opposed to the right seat. But uh, excited to do it. Uh, There's a lot more things involved because of the responsibilities. Uh, I no longer can look to the left and say, hey, what do you think? Because when I look to the left, there's just a reflection of me in the window. So excited to do it. That That's for sure. Um, but uh, but we'll go a little bit into the upgrade process. Uh, but Russ, I, first of all, I want to say thanks for doing this. I really appreciate uh, uh, us putting this together and the fact that, you know, we're, we're putting this out towards the general aviation population because we really care about the folks out there and hopefully this will this will help them. You know, we got a ton of people in general general aviation that are looking to, you know, possibly go to the airlines. It's been a huge time for hiring and, uh, you know, it's, you know, all kinds of vacancies and, and it's, it's been amazing. So we got a ton of these people and I hope this will help. I mean, I'm really interested to hear all about your process uh, of upgrading here. And I mean, you talked a little bit why you decided to, but it was a complicated decision. I know because you and I've talked about this before. You were staying in FO for certain reasons that made sense to you at the time. And now it, it uh, makes sense for you to upgrade to captain. But I, this, I, I, there was actually a book I read called, it was, I think the thing was called three feet to the left. It may have been a, uh, a pick of the week. And it talked about the, the different, the vast difference between sitting at right seat and sitting at left seat, and it was a fascinating book. Have you read it? Oh yeah, I, yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. That should be our pick, your pick of the week this week. <laughs> yeah, just the the big difference in in attitude and responsibility. You just moving, you know, one seat over, right? And so now now you're you're facing that too. Um, now you did mention that you took the short course. We're all kind of familiar. Or most of us, I think, are familiar with this concept of airline pilot training that. You go in and it's just drinking from a fire hose and you're studying all night and, and you're sweating bullets, hoping you graduate. You know, you don't pass a check ride, you don't get hired and all this kind of stuff, but you got to do a short course. What is a short course? And and is it what I just described? Russ, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, I know I, I mentioned this to a lot of folks and uh, at Sun and Fun, which by the way is great. I was only there for four hours. I wish I could have stayed. But the short course is different than the normal course to upgrade. And what does that mean? I actually am a first officer. I have my PIC, Pilot Command Type Rating, on the Airbus, uh, on the A320. And so I didn't have to do, <clears throat> excuse me, the systems and learn the airplane. So that is part of that short course. So that is where I've actually been able to, and this is kind of strange too, by the way, at day two, when we walk in the door, if day one is like introduction, FOM, you know, operations, that kind of thing. Day two, you take your oral exam on the systems in the aircraft. So that that's right away. And so you better be ready off the bat for this 
systems exam. Now, that systems exam is something that we take during our recurrent training every year. So it's not something that is out of the ordinary. It's just basically what they're doing is they're getting me set up so that I can actually be ready just to do the training specifically for flying the plane and making the command decisions. Uh, And that's where that short course comes in. As a matter of fact, uh, I just thought of something that that we were the first class in the short course that actually had the new uh, the new pilot, you know, uh, training where the command training and the, and the decision making that is required at, because of some of the changes from some past accidents like the Colgan crash and uh, and the reason they're doing that is they they want to actually put you in a, a situation in a role where you're the person that is actually mentoring pilots and also somebody that can make command decisions uh, and that's actually now required by the FAA. It was one of these courses that was. Uh, something that was just you know side you know a side note really uh, now it's actually specifically required uh, and it's one of the things that was brand new with us and I absolutely love the training uh, it's like it's it's a lot like threat and error management and and trying to you know prevent accidents and incidents but it goes beyond that it talks about mentoring and coaching and and understanding your new role and that's really what's happening is it and, and this is this also is something that this is great. We're doing this because this is all coming back to me. The day that that happened, when I took that first course on the professional pilot development course, it's called. That's a new thing the FAA requires. Is the day that my brain switched from being a first officer to being a captain? Because and it sounds strange, but it's you're now the person that is going to be in charge, and you now have to think totally differently about the aircraft, just like when you are pilot in command of the 172 and you're no longer with your instructor, you're now in charge of everything. And uh, just think about now you're having to manage not just you know yourself, but you're managing a crew, pilot, flight attendants, you're dealing with air traffic control and all these other things that are, are legalities. But it's teaching you how to do that and, and, and do a better job of it or try to do a better job of it. And it's one of those very subjective things. So that was awesome. But the short course, meaning that all I did from that point on, after we did the professional pilot development and we did the oral exam on the airplane, everything was about, okay, now let's get our procedures down and let's learn how to fly from the left seat and do all the maneuvers from the left seat, which kind of was a little challenge on day one. We'll talk a little bit about about that. But that's actually the short course. And the short course, during that short, short course, another thing we do, and I think... Uh, you had a question on this, is that um, we reset our training. And what does that mean? You know, we go through training every year. We go into a simulator and we do recurrent training. And what that does is uh, in this short course, we make sure we do all those things that we have to do once a year so that we start our clock over again. It's just like a flight review. So now we start over again instead of having us bring us back in to do other training. What's an example of the other types of training that we do? A good example is doors training. Doors training, what's that? We actually, uh, as a captain and a first officer, we have to be trained on how to open and close the doors and all the emergency exits. And there are many different variants of this aircraft and how to get out of those exits and, and what to do when we open it. 
And that's something that is really uh, a, a kind of a process of like an hour or two going all to all the different, we have door simulators throughout the building, which is kind of cool. Uh, and that's, that's really part of this. And that's why they call it a short course. So you don't have to actually learn it. You're just reviewing it again. Uh, and so now we've reset that and that's kind of like that, that process being the short course. So that's boom, we go into it. Uh, and I guess I should mention it's three weeks. It's about three week process for the short course. Well, that brings up a question. If the short course is three weeks, how long is the long course? So that's for somebody who's actually doing the type rating. And uh, a good question. It's uh, it's actually an extra week, week and a half uh, to do that. And uh, and a lot of it, too, has to do with scheduling. And, um, and, and you know, Russ, it's like, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Something that people don't realize right now, we're seeing all this stuff on the news, is that scheduling is actually a real real issue with the airlines, all the different training departments, because there's just so many people coming through. And uh, it's it's been very difficult for everybody just to get instructors out there. So if you're thinking you want to become an airline instructor, this is a good time to do it. Uh, and Because uh, flight instructor, you can do both. Flight instructor at the local airport, and then come on over to like a simulator and do a simulator instructor. Uh, and it's very challenging. That's, that is for sure. Well, one thing, uh, another thing I thought of was you talked a little bit about the, uh, the training differences for between being a, a captain versus an FO and, um, how, you know, there was no systems training. You just took a test. You better know it already, which makes sense. You've been doing it every year. It's the same systems. They haven't changed. Right. But, um, it, it sounds like it, it was maybe more, maybe more flying, you know, than I, I don't know, in during the training, but you're saying, you know, learn how to fly from the left seat. Well, this is, you know, of course, something that most people learn how to fly from the left seat and then they become an instructor and they didn't have to learn to fly from the right seat, you know, and then maybe they do some flying in the left seat again, they go to the airline and then they're back in the right seat, you know, and it's all of this back and forth. So obviously you've flown airplanes from the left seat before, but, um, as far as in this airplane, in your, in your Airbus, I mean, how, how different was that? You know, some people have a challenge at first switching seats. I imagine you've done it enough times. You probably didn't, but do people struggle with that? I mean, with the additional, you know, different position of control or reaching for stuff or, you know, any of that. So, so here's the honest answer. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it out <laughs> no, there. Like, I really yeah. was horrible in the left seat. You know, <laughs> on the, the first, I, when I got in the left seat, I was totally over controlling the aircraft. And not only that, you know, we use a side stick. Uh, if you look at a Cirrus, it's a lot like the Cirrus, but even more sensitive. So I've actually had to, uh, put my watch on a different hand, on a different wrist, because I found, I couldn't flex my wrist enough to actually move the controls in a very controlled and and a manner that would be good conducive to people coming back and flying again with us on an airline. I mean, it was it was horrible. I mean, I was I was all over the place. Oh, totally over controlling. After the first day, I was like, oh my god, I can't fly this darn thing. Uh, it went away after about a, a day. And oh, and th- gosh, this is great. It, one of the things, and this is some advice that for people who've ch- changed seats, one thing that I did is because I'm using the brakes more because I'm taxing, I have to be closer. What I did is make made sure I changed my sight picture in the left seat, so now I don't have I didn't have a bias, and so I was a little bit different sight picture, a little bit higher, a little bit closer. So now I'm starting over in my mind again as far as how to land and what to use. And it just clicked. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, I'm in a new position. And that worked for me. It doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. It was just a, a suggestion. So now here I am 
looking at things totally different. The other thing too is I was lucky because my initial partner in the simulator I had had two different partners in the sim. Uh, was also a captain that was coming back and requalifying in the left seat initially. So he um, he told me he said, "Listen, it's totally different because the cockpit is really wide, and the 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 view is actually different because it slo- slopes down towards the left as opposed to sloping down to the right." And I found that each time when I was trying to land, I was uh, actually in a bank, and then I realized that why that was. So by changing my sight picture, I was able to figure that out, and that it took about a day to get back to it. It, it really, it, it was kind of, it was kind of stinky. But I, I do talk to other people that say the same thing: is that you know they kind of have a problem controlling the aircraft. The other thing that was really embarrassing is you know in the I'm used to grabbing the the side stick. We call it a side stick in the in the Airbus. I was used to grabbing the side stick, you know, with my right hand. And something happened with the aircraft, and I grabbed the side stick using my right hand. Well, unfortunately, there was some thrust levers I was, you know, <laughs> jumping onto, and I, I was like, "Oh no!" So it was like a one, one thousand, two, one thousand. Then I had to put my hand on my left hand out as opposed to my right hand. Um, and another thing that's kind of interesting, and this was something to get used to on the Airbus, is that we don't our stance since we don't have a side stick to the left and the, the thrust levers in the center pedestal. When we actually are flying, we're flying with two hands stretched outwards as opposed to having your arms in close. So it's something you have to really get. It's like you're sitting back in a, a chair, a lazy boy chair, and you're holding your hands outwards, which was something that is really odd. So you look like you're sitting up in the cockpit, and you know most people are having their hands in the middle. So that's a, another little thing you have to get used to. Uh, so that was, that was kind of a, a tough thing as far as getting used to the controls and then hitting things. I was smacking my hand in the beginning. You know, I was, I actually got blood going in the cockpit. I was just like, Holy cow, what am I doing? I was like, bam, I hit my left hand against the wall. There's the wall wasn't supposed to be there because there was never a wall there before. Uh, so it, it, the instructor was laughing. It, it, it was, it was kind of hilarious. Me just hurting myself and, and uh, a couple times it wasn't, it wasn't that bad that I couldn't cure anything with just a little band-aid. So to be transparent, it was it was tough. Yeah, you know, Carl, I really appreciate your, your honesty there because I mean, some I, I think that's something that you know we all kind of worry about when we're upgrading to a new airplane or a new job or something is you know, looking like a dork when we're you know fly, looking like we don't know how to fly an airplane, right? I mean, you know, whether it's just shifting seats or. We're not being familiar with the panel layout or, you know, it's a new airplane. So, you know, we're just not comfortable. Right. But we all feel that way. And it, I think it's it's pretty refreshing to to hear that, you know, you as an experienced airline pilot who's been flying airliners for years and years, it still happens. <laughs> you know, we're all human and it, it still happens because because you get used to one thing and any change, you know, that you make is, is going to require some effort. And, and like you said, I mean, it took you a day or day and a half and, and you're probably okay for the most part. And then you get whacking your hand on the panel or something, but you know, for a couple of days, but, but I bet <laughs> you were able to, you know, recover from all that and, uh, and you'll be fine now. So yeah, it's, it's not insurmountable. You know, when you, when you switch seats or you do something else and, and you're there, you know, moving up for airplane or something and, you know, for general aviation pilots as well, you know, you feel uncomfortable. Hey, it happens to everybody. It's normal. You will get comfortable. It just, you know, just work through it, just like Carl did. So I, I'm really glad you were honest about that and didn't just say, oh, yeah, it was easy switch. No problem. Go move on, Russ. <laughs> you know? No, absolutely wasn't. It really wasn't. It was definitely a challenge. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, and, and we all should be challenged every once in a while. I think it ex- expands us as aviators. 
and and I appreciate that. So, what is? So you said you've been first officer for seven years for this airline. I think it was. Uh, nine years actually. Nine years. Okay, I can't remember numbers. There you go. Nine years. Okay. I was interested in how has training changed over that time, whether it's training, you know, different technologies or different methods or different process. I mean, granted you had a short course versus a long course so that kind of kind of muddy the waters a little bit, but, but can, can you talk to anything about that? It's nine years. Lots of stuff has happened in nine years. Absolutely. You know, the big thing that's changed over those nine years is, uh, amazingly, and this is was shocking to me is the actual, use of hand flying skills and getting back to basics that we hadn't been doing as much in the past that we're doing even more and unusual attitudes. Uh, it's, you know, it's extended envelope training and that's basically, you know, when you're in a 135 degree bank and then they say, okay, it's your airplane. What do you do now? Understanding what the airplane's going to do. We do, we never did full stalls. We're doing full stalls now, power on power off doing full stalls at low altitude, stalls on final approach, which is crazy because you have to put the nose down when you're stalling, and that's kind of tough to do in a bigger plane because you're sinking pretty quickly. And then stalls at altitude and understanding the, the differences. I, I just absolutely love this new training that has come into play just in the past 10 years uh, within the airline training because now that I've done that, I see and I can expect things to happen. A good example is at altitude, the engines aren't producing as much power. So if I go to full power, the aircraft won't pitch up. Our, our engines are hung underneath the wing. So when we go to full power, it pitches up. It doesn't really happen when you go to full power at altitude. you know. But when you're at 3,000 feet and you do full power, it's so easy to get into a secondary stall and pitch up you know, very, very quickly, a lot, you know, worse than most propeller aircraft. And that's something else that you start realizing that everything is different at the different altitudes. And if we don't, didn't do this extended envelope type training, uh, that's changed over the years. I, I think, uh, things would be a lot different in the training and I wouldn't be as well-rounded of a pilot. The other thing too, is uh, the threat and error management training that's going on is so much, it's wonderful. You know, while you're doing it, you're like, Oh man, you know, you're like, gosh, I, this is getting to be tough. You know, I, I, we're going over this and over this. And then you realize afterwards how much, how important that is. And, and you really come to appreciate the threat and error management and trying to mitigate uh, those, you know, errors and produce, you know, and try to reduce risk and, and make sure you don't get into a, a state that, you know, that you don't want to be in. And, and we call it an undesired state. And it's that simple, and that that has been wonderful. The other big thing is, besides the env extended envelope training, is hand flying the airplane. You know, we we do a lot more hand flying now, and we've been taught even on the line to do a lot more hand flying, mostly in VFR conditions. Uh, you know, when you're doing uh, hand flying, it also uh, kind of gives the person that's monitoring the aircraft more work to do. Uh, and then managing that. Um, and what does that mean when I say it gives the person monitoring the aircraft? The person that's non-flying pilot or the pilot monitoring, we call it actually, uh, is actually the person running the radios. And if I don't have the autopilot on, they have to do all the work. They have to select the altitude, arm the approaches, select the radios, and they're talking to air traffic control. So that's we have to learn how to manage that. You know, when is it that we introduce more autom automation? When is it best to actually reduce the automation. Uh, so those, those are some of the big things that have changed. Uh, and 
the other things too that have changed over the years is the fact that uh, as we've gone through this process, we've learned even within nuances inside the training and things that we were doing, realizing that, wait a minute, this is the wrong approach. We started doing some extended envelope training and realizing there was we're teaching one item maybe improperly uh, or maybe there was a better way to do it. And that's some of the things that have come forward. So I love it. I mean, I love the fact that we're, we're, we're doing more and more of that. That's, that is the biggest thing to me as far as the change. And hopefully that answered it. Oh, completely. And and I was actually really uh, pleasantly surprised, I guess, by, by your answer. Cause I was wondering if you were just going to say, well, we had some new PowerPoint slides and uh, <laughs> you know, that was about it. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. We do this international operations because, you know, we fly internationally and we fly over the water. And we and many airlines in the past have done like PowerPoints on how to do position reports, you know, when you're you're over water or using HF or you're, you know, you're out of radar contact, maybe even in the continental U.S. And we actually have gone away from just practicing and doing it in a classroom to actually getting in a simulator and doing a flight doing a flight over the water internationally. And at first you're like, gosh, again, it's in the beginning. And I hate to say that because it's a horrible attitude. You're like, gosh, do I really need to do this in the sim? And then you come out of the sim, you're like, holy cow, that was, that was great. You know, I, I, I'm glad we did that because I have learned something by actually physically doing the position reports. And obviously in the halfway through the training, all that international ops I'm doing with a new first officer who is learning how to do these position reports that hasn't really done many of them over the water. And it's, it, you realize how much of a struggle it is if you don't do it all the time, but it also um, makes you realize that you might be able to do it better. And that's one thing I liked is the fact that I, I was able to figure out some ways maybe I could do my position reporting better. Well, yeah, I, I think that, I, I, like I said, I'm really pleasantly surprised about the, the enhanced training, especially with hand flying uh, and unusual attitude stuff. You know, any of us who follow aviation and aviation accidents especially have seen, you know, some of the more famous ones in the last, well, about nine years, right, <laughs> that that seem to be a result of hand flying skills, basic stuff, you know, stalling the airplane, you know, that we learn in private pilot training. And those of us in GA think, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, these are airline pilots, right? So I'm really glad that, uh, that at least your airline is, seems to be focusing on that stuff a lot more and, and making those changes in training. I think that's really great. And also to that point is that one of the things that also shocked me during this whole process in the simulator is I forgot how tired I would be afterwards. And like I was doing some simulators that would end at like 11 p.m. or sometimes it end at three in the morning because we run the simulators all night. I didn't realize that my adrenaline would be pumping so much because when you're in the sim, it's real. I mean, you're in the airplane. And uh, I, yeah, I had a tough time sleeping sometimes right afterwards. So we would actually have to go out, maybe hang out for a little while. Uh, I don't live far away. I couldn't sleep, so i just come home and drive for an hour, hour and a half uh, because the adrenaline is just pumping so much, especially when you're doing those extended envelope training, when you're doing your V1 cuts, your engine failures, fires, depressurizations, all those kind of things. Uh, it really it, – I, I, was, I was shocked at how, how you know, energetic I was afterwards. But then there's a crash uh, in, in your mind and in your body after about an hour or two 
the, all that adrenaline wears off and then boom, you go to sleep. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of something that I thought was kind of interesting that I wanted to share with people is that, that, that does happen. You're, you know, your heart's pumping and, and all of a sudden you're in this really stressful situation and it's great to have that, you know, in the training. Uh, but it's also something you have to deal with, you know, as you're going through it. On these, uh, long, you know, late night simulator days, I mean, did, did you have stuff to do beforehand? I mean, were you, were, were you working on a, a really long day or did you just come in to do the simulator or how's that work? So, and I guess I should back up first and tell how the process goes. So first of all, we, we talked about doing the systems, which we didn't have to do, but the first thing we do is procedure trainers. And then after the procedure tra trainers, we go into maneuvers. And after maneuvers, we go into line oriented uh, flight training. Every single lesson that you have, whether it's ground school or the simulator, you have homework. And sometimes the homework isn't bad. Um, just like in school, you have homework. Uh, for instance, I'll give an example. Uh, homework for one of the maneuvers uh, sessions. You have to make sure that all your charts are loaded up. We use iPads. All your charts are loaded up for that specific flight. Also, you have reviewed what it is you're going to go over. And there's a lot of times uh, the presentations are like 200 slides that you have to view prior to going into the simulator session. So now you've got this six-hour simulator session. You have all these slides to go over. And at and certain times, you have actually tests you have to take, quizzes online. So for the professional pilot development program, we had four different quiz uh, quizzes we had to take after four different slide sessions. It, it really, there's, there's a lot to it. So you're basically, you're in the sim for, you know, six hours, but there's, there's so many other things that you have to do before that. So your days are rather long. So I'm glad you brought that up. You, you do have a lot of homework to do. You have a lot of studying to do before that. And that's actually, if you do your studying and your homework, then you'll be much better prepared for the session. Because remember, even though we're quote unquote, not grading these things, uh, we're training to proficiency and you have to get it done within that time frame and if you don't you have to maybe repeat that event set to move forward so you know it's not like a pass fail but it, it kind of is because if you're not moving forward then that's going to kind of go on your record and that's another nerve-wracking thing about it is you you kind of don't want to see that on your record Does, did you need to retrain or whatever it might be so that's stressful you mentioned uh, having you know a lot of homework each night and and you also said that it was advantageous to kind of study ahead of time and you know use your time wisely, I guess. What kind of things did you do to prepare before the training started? So uh, this is what I tell people before you get there is to study everything, know all your memory items and, uh, and know everything as far as your systems, quizzes, um, limitations on the aircraft. Obviously you need to know all that, but if you're training in a new position and uh, you need to actually go through like the flows and that's uh, you know, the, the flows and the checklists, those are two things that are were brand new for me, and I didn't realize how much I didn't know it until I got there. So, so let me tell you how I messed up. I thought that by doing my flows with a picture in front of me, I would be ready for the simulator, and I wasn't. And the and the reason why is because we have these paper trainers. And I push, I put my finger on the trainer as to where the button is. Say I have to turn on the packs. Say I have to turn on the anti-ice. I actually push, put my finger in those positions. And in the flows, like when we're getting ready for the aircraft and we're receiving the aircraft, 
our cockpit prep uh, flows. We go up and we test the, the cockpit voice recorder. We make sure that the captain switches on for you know the announcements and emergencies. Then we go up and we switch something else. But those flows, it's best to do actually in a, a, a cockpit trainer. I didn't actually do that. I came in that morning and did a little bit of it. Now, and my my sim partner was a captain already, and he's coming back to the left seat after uh, being out for a while. And he he even said that he says, "Man, it, it's it's tougher than you think." But eventually, you get that you are able to to get the flows down. But my advice would be, if you have the opportunity with the poster or whatever, if you have a paper trainer, get in that because the 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 trainers, the procedures trainers. Uh, you can actually sit in them in the cockpit. So that's one of the things that I, I would have done differently. That was definitely uh, as far as homework is concerned. All the other stuff, the studying, I did a lot of that. Um, one thing, too, uh, I did have to do is there was you know family in the house. I had to get out of the house. Um, I had to go and study away from the house because I couldn't concentrate on what I was doing because you really, a lot of these things you know is review, but some of the stuff is new. And it's it's a lot to absorb. It really is. And you'll never, ever, uh, you have to make sh- sure you realize you can't know enough and you'll never know everything uh, because there's so many manuals. After, I mean, the, the FOM is 1,000 pages. or FCOM is 1,300 pages. The systems manual is another 1,000 years. There's just too much to know. And you have to make sure you don't go down rabbit holes. So that was number one. I should have had my flows down. Number two, I went down to too many rabbit holes. And what does that mean? I went, because I'm curious, right? I saw a system and I said, oh, how does this system work? So then I started doing research on the system. And here, all I had to do is do a five-minute, let's look at the system and learn what I need to know. And I wound up spending an hour or two going down, looking at videos on YouTube, looking at our videos for training. And just, it was kind of, it was a waste of time, but it, it wasn't for the specific training, just do what you have to do. And they'll tell you that. It's just hard sometimes. Because out of curiosity, we're like, oh, how does this work? Um, as they say, don't, you know, don't go you deep in, dive too deep into the deep end. And you don't want to be close to the drain because you, you may not come back up. So so those two, those are the biggies. It's just preparing. And, and I kind of, hopefully that answered your question. I, I think so. But, um, you know, that was, that was a big thing advice-wise. Just don't get too far into it. <laughs> well, well, I think they give that advice on actually taking check rides too, right? If the examiner asks you a yes, no question, you, you don't go on for three minutes about to explain your answer, (laughs) you know, you get stuck, learn what you need to know. But then of course, you know, if you are interested in stuff like that, there's lots of time now that you're done with training where you can go down those rabbit holes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. You got to use your time wisely. Something you had said earlier brought a question up in my mind and it was about you were, I I think it was what one of your sim partners was a new co-pilot or something like that. Um, and of course a new co-pilot doesn't know much about the airplane or the operation. And here you are this, you know, fount of all knowledge, the sky God in the left seat, uh, as far as the FO knows, right. New guys, you know, just, just hired, never flown an airliner before. Um, and he's looking up to you, you know, as the captain, well, you're a new captain. So, you know, and you don't know everything from the left seat perspective or the responsibilities or any of that kind of stuff you talked about. And, and is that something that, really requires, you know, kind of a personal stretch to, to grow into, um, or, I mean, so, so you don't look dumb, I guess, or, or what is that like making that transition? Like, you know, we talked about a little bit before, you know, just moving over as far as responsibility goes, what, what is that? 
in, feel like inside? I think the most important thing is realizing that the person that's in their right seat is a professional and they're there for a reason and you should respect that and you will need them at some point to help you. You have to, it's a two pilot crew and you need to be a, very humble because you fly with people for, that have been flying for 30, 40 years that learn things from a brand new FO, brand new first officer. Uh, so, you, But you have to know what you need to know, that's for sure. That's what they're expecting from you. And to gain respect, you need to know what everything. But you really need to also realize that that professional that's sitting in the right seat, uh, you can gain some knowledge from them. Uh, in different scenarios. But you also must realize that um, they're there to learn. And that was, you know, you talk about knowledge. I've been in that right seat for nine years. So my problem I had, and, you know, sometimes the instructor had to smack me on the head. They didn't really do that, by the way. It would have to remind me, don't help out too much. And that's that's the thing you have to realize is you're sitting there, you're mentoring this person, but you don't want to make them feel bad too. But So you have to modulate that. You have to, just like any flight instructor, and that's what's great about being a flight instructor is you learn that. You have to modulate how much you want to ask this person either to overload them, but also to gain their confidence. And so you see something and you watch what they're doing and you say, hey, listen, I have an idea about that. You want to try this. And and you try to pass along knowledge. And what was really cool, by the way, about the first officer I was flying with, he flew the plane I used to fly before I came uh, to the airline I'm with now. And I told him some of the things that are going to be challenging for him. So that was terrific to be able to relate that. For instance, the plane he was flying, you could go down and slow down. The Airbus doesn't go down and slow down. You either go down first and slow down, or you slow down, then go down. There, you can't do both. Uh, it's such a slick aircraft. Little things like that. And, and then relating things like, okay, we're doing this in the training world, and in the real world, this is what the captains are going to expect on the line. Um, but that, what you said is the big thing, is the pressure that's put on you that you now have to know everything. Because no, that's you're, the buck stops there at the captain. So now you have to try to know everything. You can't know everything, but you have to continually train. And that's something I remember when I was a captain, I would pull out manuals. And when I did something that was wrong, I would say to the first officer, you know what, you're right. Um, I need to, you know, I'm glad you brought that up and, and realize that's why they're there. They're a professional. And that was, that was something that I think was another mind shift during this process. Now, again, remember I said in the beginning, the biggest thing was turning my head to being a captain as opposed to a first officer. Just like when we get in the airplane by ourselves the first time we solo, now we're in control of this aircraft. Now it's all it's all us. It's on us to do everything and do everything properly. So, you know, if they ask how many pets can we put in the seats in the back, you need to answer that question. And if you don't know the answer, you have to find out where to find it. So, I don't ever worry about looking dumb or having the wrong answer uh, because you have to realize you don't know everything. But to be a professional, you try as hard as you can to know as much as you can. And uh, speaking of which, you know, the first officer training, <clears throat> remember I said I did a short course. The first officer, because they were new to the airplane, when I met the first officer, he actually had to go through all the maneuvers training and also the systems training. So he was there for a few weeks before I was there, and he had to do what's called a maneuvers validation. So that was kind of what's weird is that you're dovetailing these two 
into the same training program and you wind up in the same spot and it works out. It just comes together and, and it's coordinated. Um, but it was really, it was so darn exciting, I'll be honest with you, to have somebody who's that young. Uh, and I mean, the person was 28 years old in the right seat of a Airbus and he was just, you know, all excited to be there. And that actually was probably one of the, my favorite things about training is just is the energy that I fed off of from, from him wanting to be there. And I'm glad I got a sim partner like that, uh, that was excited about learning and learning new things. And, uh, and that's where, and I learned so much from him about his previous airline. So yeah, that, that actually was kind of, kind of interesting and it was neat and psychologically it was good for me. And then, uh, by the way, going back to that, as far as controlling the airplane, uh, to your point, um, I'm glad I was with another captain when I was having the struggles trying to control the airplane because he said the same thing. He had the same problem. By the time I had the first officer in the plane, I was able to you know, fly regularly as opposed to over-controlling the aircraft and that type of thing. Uh, so that, that was kind of good because I didn't want to – I don't want to look too bad. Like, who is this idiot flying the left seat? Can't even land the airplane, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> but, uh, that, so that, was, that was good that I kind of got over that really quickly. <laughs> That's good. So you had you had another thing here. You want to discuss why no eighty seven ten for you, but the FO needed one. I think I know the answer. Oh, to this, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, and so I was already. Um, that's a yeah. The eighty seven ten. I didn't have to do one for myself, but the first officer did. Um, and the reason being, I already have my PIC rating in the aircraft. One interesting thing about the first officer, which was cool, because I don't see it that often. He was like a corporate one thirty five person. He didn't have, most of us as airline uh, pilots, we have a restriction on our certificate. Uh, we, I can't do a circle to land approach on any of the airliners that I've flown. He did not have that restriction because his, the airliner he flew, he did for a 135, and they were able to do actually circle to land. What was interesting is our examiner said this was like one of the first ones he saw. Then uh, he's not used to having to add the, you know, Airbus A320 circle the land, uh, you know, it, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't do the circle of land, which is amazing. So no circle of land, I should say. So that was kind of, kind of interesting there. Not a whole lot of circling uh, going on in airliners these days. I don't think. No, definitely not. Not uh, anymore. No. So Carl, for you, uh, what, what's next for you? Now you got your, your captain. Congratulations. What do you go do? Um, so, so to explain the process, I finished my check ride. So as far as the airline's concerned, I'm a captain, but I have to do some other things now. I have to go do what's called OE, uh, operating experience in the left seat with a check airman. And then at the end of that, I get what's called a fed ride, which is your FA check ride. Well, in it's, it's a line check really is what it is, not check ride. It's an observation by the FAA and it can be actually one of our people at the airline to sit in that seat because there are some people that are qualified to do that. So just on one of my legs, the FA has to sit there and then all of a sudden says, you know, you're good to go. You can fly uh, with passengers without a check airman, but I still be on what's, and, and then my clock starts over again. For the first hundred hours, I'm on what's called high min. So they limit the type of approaches that I can do, the weather, how low I can go. I can't do a category three auto land. I can do a category two auto land. Those are just, you know, visibility differences. So uh, with the Category 3, I don't really have to see anything. But uh, with the Category 2, I kind of have to look out the window and see something. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot, it's a lot different uh, because you have to think about that. And also, 
Um, you know, there's a thing called green on green. We can't have two brand new people in the cockpit. That's another thing that, uh, so what is a brand new person? Anybody with less than 75 hours. So to make people, you know, feel a little more comfortable, one of us in the cockpit has 75 hours or more in the airplane we're flying. Otherwise, we can't fly together. Uh, so obviously, I have more than 75 hours, so that won't won't cause any problems there. So now I got to get that done, and then I'm officially able to go out and fly with passengers. So the next thing I'm going to do after that, I got another invitation to uh, to join the the training department at the airline, and I'm going to actually be a simulator and ground instructor. Uh, as an adjunct position, meaning that half the year I'll fly the line, half the year I'll fly in the simulator. This year, because we're training so many new pilots, they've asked me to stay through the end of the year. So I have to go back to training in another week from now. I think it's about a week from now, a week and a half, whatever. And I have to do the training to become a trainer. So there are specific things that I have to do. We do the extended envelope training, do some ground school, back in the sim. Now i got to learn how to use the sim, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we use a company called CAE uh, for the simulators, and they actually run our simulators. And we have, and I have to get in there and then learn how to actually operate it. And we have preloaded lessons in there. And just like anything else, like with you know when you solo and you go into different airspace or whatever, you may have a restriction on your on your certificate. I'll have a restriction on my certificate that says, "Okay, Carl, you can actually do maneuvers validations uh, for a, a number lesson number two. Uh, now you can do maneuvers validation lesson number one. You can do procedures number two, that kind of thing. And so then you work your way up and you can actually eventually become what's called a check airman or an APD. And you can actually do check rides for people if you want to. Uh, the thing that is so exciting about this, about this next step being an instructor, is the fact that it's going to, again, I was looking for something, a challenge. It's going to stretch me. It already has. Because now that people know that I'm going to be an instructor there, the instructors are challenging you. And you really get into some really cool stuff. And, you know, just like you guys like to do is get into the nitty gritty about approaches and the systems and what's really happening. We teach things and we memorize things in a certain manner. But what's it really doing and have a depth of knowledge? Of course, you only will relate that information if you're asked but it is good to know that information. So it's a never-ending learning process being an instructor. And that's why I encourage everybody to become a flight instructor. Whether you're working as a job as a, you know, a, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever it is, it is so much fun uh, teaching people uh, flying. Whether it's at the airlines or in a J3 Cub, it, it's, it's a blast. And that's, that's kind of the next step as I'm going back to being an instructor again. Well, I, I think we have a built-in topic for a future podcast. Then that's that's easy. <laughs> you know, when, once you finish that, you'll have to tell us all about it. We're going to start to wrap this up a little bit, but we've talked a lot about uh, you know how to prepare for a rating and 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 such. But really, this isn't just about um, you know upgrading the captain. A lot of what we talked about applies across the board. So I'd like to kind of go around and see if any of us have any kind of more specific advice for for just preparing for your next rating whatever it is if it's an instrument rating or even if it's just a new aircraft checkout or something what's carl what's some of your advice that someone can do at any level of aviation for to prepare for that next rating so number one and this is i mentioned it before the challenge i had is if you want to practice procedures 
Ask them if you can go out, if you're renting a plane, go out to the airplane and practice your emergency procedures in the airplane. You might be able to do it in a simulator, uh, but remember, you, you know, mixture prop, throttle, flaps up, gear up, identify, verify, feather. Make sure you can actually do all those things with your hands and, and go through that process if it's in a twin. Make sure that you can actually get out there and, and point to the different things in the airplane. So I did. my advice is to study the actual the, the mechanics, the flows, as they say, of, of the airplane, but also make sure that you've studied everything prior to the training because now instead of you're concentrating on the things that you have to memorize, you're concentrating on new knowledge and that helps so much in, in being prepared for that training and that training event. So those are the two things. The big things is study what you need to study to be ready. And number two, if you get a chance, uh, the term we use a lot is called chair flying. That's basically what that is, is chair flying. Sit there and imagine yourself and please try to touch those. And, and that's kind of my advice. That's the biggest thing. There's many other things I say, but that's the, the really things I want to I point out. No, I think those are great. Uh, Bill, do you have anything you can add to what Carl just said? Well, um, I know I was going to ask you some of that, Carl, of how, how some of your experience can, uh, can trickle down to us in general aviation, you know, may not have those kind of resources. I mean, you just, you just touched on it there. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of general aviation training now is, is pointed towards exactly what you're doing, right? You mentioned it early on, people moving into the airlines, um, a lot of different programs now, like restricted ATP. We've got some reduced hours programs up there. Um, how can folks who are in these, uh, you know, I guess the general aviation version of your short course or your short program um, help focus that and uh, focus on to uh, knowing exactly what it is they need to concentrate on to get through that accelerated course and carry through to what they want to do in the airlines? Yeah, and that that's actually something that's uh, that's a great question. And by the way, the training, like in in this whole training process, uh, is likened to a a short course at or a accelerated course, I should say, at a one forty one school or like an instrument rating where you're doing it in two weeks. But the the one thing that you can do to prepare, say you're you're moving on to the airlines, is number or wherever it doesn't matter if whatever your training is for. If you're you're training to learn your own aircraft and you just want to get an ATP or an advanced rating, is is make sure you learn those those procedures and obviously memorize everything you need to memorize, but also come prepared. I will say that that is probably. One of the, um, and I have to make sure I don't say anything uh, bad, but it's one of the the challenges of the process is that many people try to do just the minimum, and I don't want people to have that attitude. You need the minimum, but try to go a little bit beyond that and try to actually further your knowledge. If you're someone who's catching on to something very quickly, try to go further into that topic. Uh, And that is something that, we that we'll see every so often is somebody who just does the minimum uh, to get by, and you can kind of tell very quickly. So try to do as much as you can, and uh, hopefully that's kind of answering that bill. Is just just make sure that you have all everything done beforehand. Do your homework is one of the the biggest things, but think about it and think about the why you're doing this and convince yourself that this is a good thing. Just like I said, but we all have those challenges. Like beforehand, and like the international ops simulator, I was like, gosh, you know, oh my gosh, I've done this a million times. But when you get into it, you realize you, you, you learn something. So be receptive to learning is the most important thing and realize that you are going to mess up. 
You know, I've flown a few hours and I still every so often will mess up looking at going from one seat to the next and, uh, and be humble. That's, that's a, I think one of the biggest things is, is be open to open to learning and, and be humble because you can always, always learn something new, no matter what level you're at. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of things, you know, we can take back into um, general aviation training and I know, you know, we do that in some of the training I'm involved with too, structuring it very much like that help, uh, yeah, you know, student, uh, you know, no matter what level you're at, you know, work with, you know, your instructor, your school, however you're doing this to to help frame frame up your training, prioritize so you don't end up, you know, falling down some of those rabbit holes like you mentioned before, Carl. So in that, with that said, there's a lot of people, too, that are training, right? They're the ones that are providing the training that are getting ready to go to the airline. And I think one of the things that they can do to help this process is to to concentrate on the student and watch them very closely and tr- and try to recognize when you're overloading the student or when you've lost the student and maybe back up and ask you know pointed questions but try to help them along don't mind trying to make them feel small cuz sometimes you know I start realizing that in the sim sometimes is that here this person has no experience and, and I really, sometimes when the instructor says, well, you know, kind of learn from this guy, he, he has the experience. I was like, yeah, but you know, this guy has a lot of experience. He just doesn't have the experience in this airplane. So you don't want to f- make them feel small or, or demean them in any way. You want to have, you have to have respect for your student is what I'm trying to say. Have respect for them and they'll have respect for you and try as hard as you can to transfer knowledge in this environment that is receptive to learning. So again, for you, the instructor, but also for the student. And it, it turns into a very professional environment uh, where there's learning happening. And uh, it also, I feel, is more fun that way too. You know, it makes a much more enjoyable process and, uh, and it really helps. And I know you do that, Bill, uh, you know, in your training. Yeah, you know, that's a great thing to take away because like you say, there's a lot of folks are doing just that training and they don't have that experience yet or that uh, that knowledge of what it's like. So taking it away from somebody like you is uh, is really going to help that help trickle that down. Yeah, it's funny because when you hear people talk about their background and how much knowledge and experience they have, it's like, oh boy, you know, this person really isn't going to be open to learning. But when they're when the person doesn't mention you know what they've done in the past, like I was you know with a guy the other day, he uh, he flew with the Blue Angels and uh, he was you know we're just t- and this person was incredibly humble, you know asking questions and stuff and and I was kind of taken aback by that. It's like wow, you know this person is incredibly humble and was able to do such an amazing thing. Maybe we all could learn from him, you know from from that. And uh, no matter how much experience you have, there's. Uh, you can always, always learn. Whether you're a Blue Angel or you're just soloed at a 152, um, you know, there's always something to learn. And uh, you actually should have the respect of your your instructor. And to get the respect of your instructor, you know, be prepared and try. Try hard. Even if you're having a challenge, say, hey, listen, I'm trying. And that's all we expect is for someone to try hard. Uh, Hopefully that makes sense, Bill. Sure does. Good, Good tips for everybody. Yeah, I don't know that I have much I can add to that. I mean, I was gonna, I was just gonna basically say that uh, you know when I get people for aircraft upgrade training, I I hate it when they come totally unprepared, you know. And that's what you guys just talked a ton about, right? Yeah, I I can spoon feed you, I guess, but I don't want to do that. And spoon feeding at whatever two hundred dollars an hour or three hundred dollars an hour or whatever the planes cost and gets a little pricey. Where the more prep you do, which is free. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I've seen people that, that just struggle and struggle through the training and it be quickly becomes obvious. They're not doing the homework that I've given them or not even looking anything up between lessons. And some of them, then they get the, the, the light bulb goes off and then they start doing that. And it's amazing. And all of a sudden they're done, <laughs> you know, they could have struggled for months more, but look, they studied a little bit. Now they're done. So yeah, uh, definitely don't, and don't assume anything's going to be too easy. I see that a lot too. You know, people come in, that's kind of the humble thing that you guys were talking about was, um, uh, it's just, you know, I'm just learning a retractable gear airplane or something. Well, you know, there's a bit to that and don't, you know, don't think it's going to be too easy because that gets you in trouble. Uh, cause then you don't pay enough attention to it and uh, put it, put the right, uh, amount of, you know, concentration and such. But I think that's, a, that's about all we got for the main topic here. Unless anybody wants to add anything else, uh, Carl. I think that's it. I just, uh, I appreciate though you doing this because, uh, hopefully someone has learned something from the process. And, uh, like if you're about to solo or you're about to get your ATP, no matter what, uh, you hopefully will take away some of these things and it might help you. Uh, and let us know. You know, send us an email, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Our picks of the week. All right. Well, Carl, I'm the host, so I get to decide who goes first. And it's going to be me today. Uh, my pick of the week, I changed it based on our conversation. So I get to save my other one for next time, I guess. But um, it is this book called Three Feet to the Left, A New Captain's Journey from Pursuit to Perspective. And it it was exactly based on a lot of the things we talked about here. Just that, you know, the seat is literally about three feet away. Right. And, but the, the gulf in responsibility and, you know, knowledge and representing the airline and, you know, and everything is, is huge. And that's what Carl just went through. And, and this, uh, this book, uh, Corey Frank, I think is his name. Uh, he talks about this and, uh, and in his his very similar journey to Carl, and it was it was a very interesting perspective to me as someone who I've haven't done this airline upgrade, but I certainly have gone well, maybe not three feet because the airplanes are smaller, but maybe two feet to the right, <laughs> you know, as a uh, going from a pilot to being a flight instructor. So I saw a lot of similarities there, but but I, I thought it was really interesting, and 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 Carl, you you echoed a lot of the things that he talks about, so that was a good book. Um, Bill, what do you got? Well, I'm going to follow right along with you, Russ, and change mine also. Sorry, Carl. We have to retype it up. So we're, we're talking a lot about, well, maybe not so much chair flying, but doing your homework and, uh, you know, studying some of this stuff at home and really, you know, being a student of aviation. Uh, a lot of us, um, you know, maybe now you're back to work after sitting around at home from COVID all this time and you're back in the car and you have nothing better to do but listen to things. Uh, LibriVox. L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X, is a library of audiobooks, which, believe it or not, has all kinds of FAA handbooks and other aviation publications in there. So if you've got nothing better to do on a long car ride and you'd like to listen to someone read you the airplane flying handbook, you can do that. Um, I don't know. Maybe that will cause you to fall asleep at the wheel, but it's another good way to, uh, you know, to study. If you like listening to things and since you're listening to a podcast, you probably do. LibriVox, we'll put the link in the show notes. You can pull down all kinds of great resource material there. All right. Sounds good. I'll definitely go in and look at that. Thank you very much, Bill. Carl, what do you have today? Well, I, I have something that's, uh, is kind of interesting because 
remember how I talked about I, I wanted a new challenge, I was looking for a new journey. What are the things that I was going to do? I was looking for a multi-engine aircraft or I was looking for a Cirrus. And before I decided I definitely wanted to upgrade, I was I wanted to get into something new. So I wanted to find out more about the Cirrus aircraft because I've flown it before. I did that video on YouTube. I guess I can put a link out there doing a review about the Cirrus. And it's a wonderful airplane. But how do I learn more about that airplane? Is there a user's group out there? And, of course, there's a Cirrus uh, Owners Association, Cirrus Pilots Association, I should call it. And these people that are out there, there's a lot of folks that actually some of them have been on the show before wonderful people the Cirrus owners and pilots association where you can learn so much on that website and if you become a member you get this wonderful magazine glossy magazine it talks about technical details about the Cirrus but also about the adventures and if you really want to learn something about an airplane join a users group and that's what i did i was like wow i'm learning so much here so this this is another thing that's so cool because here's an airplane i don't know much about um, that I'm learning quite a bit about now, but not just from the technical perspective, but also in the user's perspective. And that's at the CirrusPilots.org website, CirrusPilots.org. And these folks are absolutely terrific. Um, and there's some really cool YouTubers on there and people that are just uh, passionate about about Cirrus aircraft. So that was that was my pick of the week there. And by the way, Russ, on that book, um, there was Corey Frank actually was on uh, Sister Podcast, Aviation Careers Podcast, episode 275. We'll put a link down below uh, interviewing him when he came out with that book. And uh, I will say he is a very, very good writer. And uh, he'll bring you into the cockpit both physically and emotionally. Uh, so uh, that was a great uh uh, thing to do. I think that uh, Corey is a wonderful person. But anyway, my pick of the week, Cirrus Pilots. Uh, instead of actually getting a Cirrus, I decided to upgrade the captain. Maybe next uh, I'll look at renting and, and learning the Cirrus a lot better. All right. Well, let us know if you need any help with that. I'm sure <laughs> we'll be all, eager to, uh, I'll happily come out to, uh, to Florida and help you out with that, Carl. Uh, well, I think with this, um, you know, my official, you know, uh, guest hosting here has come to an end and uh, I, the under, interview's over. So Carl, I think this is your podcast again. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and close it out for us, please? Well, having just come out of training, uh, Russ, I have control. Perfect. You have controls. Thank you. And that one of the things that's been uh, amazing about this podcast is the, the feedback we get from you about how it helps you uh, in aviation, in your learning process. And uh, a lot of folks have said they, they learn a lot about uh, speaking uh, aviation and, and aviation language. And one of the things that's been great is um, the fact that we get feedback from you. StuckMikeAfcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. Uh, tell us what you think about this and if you want to see more like this or listen to more like this. But don't forget, too, that our sponsor, Plain English Sim, has this app-based aviation radio simulator that also will help you gain radio proficiency, both VFR and IFR. And some of the terminology that we use here on the podcast is talked about in that. And plus, because they're a sponsor, they're actually giving away a lot of scholarships, guides. Over 50 of them they're giving away. And you can find out more about that at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. If you do decide to buy it, use Plain English Sim 
that coupon code to get one free for yourself. It's free access. It's updated every year. We have over $120 million in scholarships that'll help you get ratings, just like we talked about here. You know, all the links in the show notes here are in that show notes. And um, one of the things I really want you to do is think about the next time you go out and do some training, uh, think about the things you learned here and the things that we've talked about and how it could help you in your training, in, in your flying life, and try to implement that. So think about that as, you're, as we're you know, closing this podcast. Think about what it is that you might be able to do with the things you've learned here and implement those tomorrow when you go out and fly or the next time you fly. Implement some of those in your training or in your flying life. And, uh, and then tell us how it goes. Email stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Well, this has been awesome. Again, thanks to Russ for, for hosting this. Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.